0: All right, good morning, and welcome to Alexandria Covenant, our video version of our live service. It is great to have you join us today. My name is Pastor Dave Murgens, and I am the pastor of Adult Formation here at Alex Covenant. And I just want to welcome you, and I want to acknowledge something. I want to acknowledge that while this room is empty, that there are hundreds of people watching this live alongside you. And I want you to know and be encouraged that while you're not physically with each other, we're all present with one another in spirit. So we are in the fifth week of our series on Colossians, and the first four weeks, you heard both myself and Greg and Pastor Trinity talk about how Christ is sufficient, how he is supreme, how he is the greatest amongst all creation and the Creator himself, and that everything. He has to offer us for the fullness of life. And you will remember that the Colossian church, they're new to their faith, that this is a young church that is learning how to become more like Christ. In fact, if you remember Paul, he mentored a man named Epaphras, and that man was the one who brought the good news of Jesus Christ to the town of Colossae, and because of that, we see a whole church beginning at that place. And today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Paul's final words to these young believers here in this town, in the town of Colossae, as they wrestle with their faith and figure out how to do what's next and continue walking with Jesus Christ. It was during my freshman year in college that I lost my best friend and mentor. My grandfather was a great man. He was a man who loved adventure. In fact, he owned a motorcycle and would routinely go on trips with my grandma. He loved to fish and hunt and do all kinds of things outdoors. Uh, He was an EMT, he was a first responder, and he would continually show up at my house when I least expected it with the ambulance and take me on rides. We would go to the firehouse where I could climb the tower where all, all the hoses were hung and spend time playing pool with all the police officers. And I loved, I loved spending time with my grandfather. He was a great man. My grandfather was also a World War II vet, and he was fearless. He jumped out of planes, landing behind enemy lines with a camera, as was his duty assigned, was to document the war effort as it went on. Before he died, my grandfather called me in to his bedside, and he had me sit down and everyone else leave the room, and my grandfather looked at me in a way I had never seen him look at me before. He looked at me, and he gave me some final words. In fact, they were the last words that I heard him speak before he passed away. He stared at me with resolute, stone-cold eyes, and his face was set, and he said, David, Never stop serving the Lord. And to this day, those words weigh on my soul. And it was fascinating to me because my grandfather was not a man of faith. He grew up going to church but had walked away later in his life. And he observed in my own life how I walked with Jesus Christ. And he was not afraid on his deathbed at the end of his life to emphasize how important it was for me to continue walking with Jesus. And I've still not forgotten those words. And in the same way, we have the Apostle Paul, who very likely is writing his final words to this young church. And so I want to read them with that in mind. Listen along as I read Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Paul says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Would you bow with me as we pray? God, we trust that your word brings encouragement. We trust that your word changes our hearts to become more like you, Jesus. And so this morning, may it not be my words, may it not be my message, but your message, God, that changes our hearts and that radically transforms us and gives us hope and encouragement that we need in the days ahead. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, let's take a closer look at the words that Paul is speaking to this young church. The first thing I want to point out is that Paul says to them, devote yourselves to prayer. His final instructions for further faith is to devote yourselves to prayer. And he says this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should." It's really interesting to me, because if you go back to the first chapter of Colossians, the very first thing that Paul says to them, besides a greeting, is that he is praying for them. That Paul is praying for them, that he is leaning into prayer and pouring over them in prayer. And now as he gets to his final instructions, what he says is, hey, would you pray for me? It's fascinating to me because in our Christian lives, it's very frequent that we will tell other people, hey, I'm praying for you. Ran out of toilet paper? I'll be praying for you. (laughs) We pray for people all the time, but we don't often think about asking others to pray for ourselves, and it's interesting because Paul, as a mentor to this group of people, says, hey, I I want you to pray for me. This is important, and I'm going to request that. I'll be honest that uh, with an empty room and a camera, it is a little bit unnerving to speak from up front. I'd much rather speak to a group of a million people than I would to very few. But the reality is that as going through this message and thinking about it, I went and I sought out others for prayer. Because I know that prayer does things, and it changes things. And that God, through Paul, has instructed us, Hey, go ask other people for prayer, because it's important to do so. But Paul lands on some very strong language here in this passage. He uses this word devote. And the word devote in Greek, "proskatero." if you look throughout the entire New Testament, this word means these things. It means to persist in adherence to. It means to be intently engaged in. It means to attend constantly to. It means to remain constantly in a place To constantly attend upon, to continue near, to be at hand. So, as you can see, this is a strong word. And it is a strong word that connotates a real great emphasis on what prayer should look like. That prayer is not just something we do at mealtime, it's not just something that we do in time of need or in struggle, but that prayer is a mindset that we ought to have. That prayer is a continual and ongoing conversation with the God of this universe that ought not cease or let up or stop for any reason. It should be at the forefront of our minds. We should be thinking about it and ongoing talking to the God of this universe. There's a man by the name of James Hudson Taylor And Hudson Taylor was a man who epitomized what this prayer life looked like. He said this quote, he said, I have seen many men work without praying, though I have never seen any good come out of it, but I have never seen a man pray without working. Fascinating words. It's fascinating because Hudson Taylor started the China Inland Missions, And through his effort, there were over 800 different missionaries who entered China over the course of the 50 years that he ran this organization. And from those 800 missionaries, there were 125 schools started in China. And from these efforts, over 18,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And when you look at this body of work, you think, wow, this man must be organized, he must be diligent, he must be hardworking, but first and foremost, this man was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer because he understood that prayer is the real work behind any effort that we go through. Another great example and the best example, in my opinion, of prayer in Scripture is the prayer life of Jesus Christ. The prayer life of Jesus Christ. And we see a number of different things that Jesus did in his prayer life. And I want to highlight a couple of these. First of all, when did Jesus pray? <laughs> when did Jesus pray? He prayed all the time. He prayed early in the morning. He would often steal away at early, hour, early hours in the morning before the sun even came up to pray. He would pray during the daytime. He would steal away at night. And pray all night long to his Father who was in heaven. Jesus prayed all the time. He prayed for the faith of others. In Luke 22, we see a very interesting story where Jesus told Peter, Satan wished to sift Peter like wheat. And yet Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus prayed a strong prayer for the faith of his disciples. Jesus also prayed publicly. Jesus prayed publicly with people and in front of people. Why? To benefit them of hearing a public prayer. Because when we do pray out loud in front of other people, it brings courage. The word encouragement, if you didn't know, means to give courage to. And so when Jesus prayed, he prayed courage into the hearts of people publicly. And he recognized the value in that, and he displayed that to us. He also prayed during intense emotional moments. In this passage in John, we see Jesus in the garden praying his heart and soul out to the Father in his last moments before he was brought before the moment of crucifixion. And Jesus wept before the Father and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He was going through intense emotions. And I want to tell you, church, that a lot of us right now are experiencing intense emotions. We are experiencing uncertainty. We are experiencing things that, that just cause our, our hearts to melt. But take courage. Because even as Jesus experienced those sorts of emotions, he prayed through them. He prayed publicly. He prayed day and night. That he prayed all the time. Devote yourselves to prayer. The next thing Paul says to this young church in his final instructions is this. He says to be wise. He says to be wise. In Colossians 4 verse 5, he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Now, if you didn't know geographically where Colossae was and what it looked like, let me paint a picture for you. It would be like Alexandria in relationship to Minneapolis. That Colossae was about that distance away that Alex is from, uh, from Minneapolis. And that, that distance was covered by a Roman road. And Ephesus is the closest city, which was a port city. And it was full of activity and trade. And people would routinely travel that road to Colossae and beyond. And so there were outsiders constantly coming through this town. In fact, it was very likely that Paul met Epaphras, the man he mentored who started the church in Colossae. It was likely that he met him in, 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 Ephesia, in Ephesus and sent him to Colossae with the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul knew, Paul knew that the Colossian church would be on display before a lot of people. And so he gave them this instructions. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders because he understood that their witness— would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to so many different people. Paul's encouraging them to act with wisdom. And so, what is wisdom? What does wisdom look like? I want to point that out. Proverbs 1 7 says this The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, there's a unique relationship between wisdom. And Fear. It's a very unique relationship. In fact, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you will see that fearing God is the heart of what wisdom truly is. Fear. Uh, what does fear look like, and how does that relate to wisdom? When uh, when my daughter was young, my firstborn, when she was really young, we would sing her that song, Shoe Fly Don't Bother Me. Have you ever heard that song before, the children's song? And I remember one time we were pushing her through uh, an outdoor park in a stroller, and all of a sudden she freaked out. I mean, just crying and screaming, and we're like, wait, wait, what's going on? What What's wrong? Why are you so afraid? <laughs> she had saw a a fly land on her shoe and confessed to us later that she was worried the shoe fly was going to steal her shoes. You see, what fear does is fear makes something bigger than it should be. Fear makes something bigger than it should be. So fearing anything else but God is unwise. But placing fear In God is wisdom because God is the greatest. You can't make anything bigger than God. And so fear and and wisdom have this relationship with each other that fearing God really is the beginning of wisdom. So when Paul is talking to this young church and he's telling them, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, he's telling them, fear God. Fear God and let the fear of God drive your action into the way that you engage with everyone that you come across. Since there is nothing greater than God, fearing him really is wisdom, really is wise. Let's look at what James chapter 3 has to say. In James 3 verse 13 it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So what you see here is James telling us that there is a relationship also between what we do and our wisdom, that wisdom comes out in action. Wisdom comes out in the way that we act toward people, doesn't it? That James says this is how your deeds are shown, wisdom is a result of that. You also see in James 3 chapter verse 17 it says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Here's how I want you to think about wisdom as you look at this verse in front of you, and it's this. Wisdom is action towards other people. And wisdom, as it's characterized here in James, is pure, pure acting towards people, our motive. It is peace-loving. It's the way that we engage people, whether we be argumentative or whether we be seeking peace and harmony with other people. It's considerate. It's thinking about other people before we think about ourselves. It is submissive. It's saying, you know what, that I'm going to submit to somebody else out of love, out of respect for them. It is full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere, and those actions, those actions display wisdom. Um, This last week, the the governor, uh, as he does his daily press conferences, gave a shout out to the town of Alexandria, and this just blew me away. Because there was a group, and and many of you from our church are part of this Helping Hands group on Facebook that was started from who I know are a bunch of Christ followers, that lived out this pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. They lived this out towards outsiders through starting a group and then acting out in our community in wisdom. It was a beautiful picture of this and a lot of fun to see that happen, so much so that the, even the governor recognized that wisdom, which, oh, by the way, comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from God. That is true wisdom. The last thing that Paul says is this. He says, don't miss opportunities. Don't miss opportunities. Make the most of every." Opportunity. In chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, prayer, being with prayer, prayer is a mindset. It's a way we think, it's a continual conversation with God. Wisdom, being wise, is an action. It's an action that we do, which is full of mercy and compassion, sincere, peace-loving. It's an action. Now we get to making the most of every opportunity, which is conversation. It's the way that we speak. It's the way that we talk. And this is how Paul talks about it. The truth is this, that people are going to ask. People are going to ask. People are going to ask you questions during these two weeks of lockdown. Hey, how are you doing? how are things going at your house? Is your kid driving you crazy? Your spouse? You getting stir crazy being at home? Are you out of toilet paper yet? Do you have enough supplies? How's, how's life treating you as you're locked in your home and, and just weathering the storm? People are going to ask. That is an opportunity. You know what else people are going to ask? People are going to ask, why are you so peaceful right now? You're, you're in the middle of a big crisis, Why do you seem more peaceful than other people? You see, Paul is saying, take advantage of this. He's saying there's an opportunity for you to use your conversation in such a way that reflects on the God of this universe. And we get that because we know that people will ask. He uses a curious phrase in here, too. He says, seasoned with salt. I don't know about you, uh, but in our day and age, if you said that somebody was speaking salty... (laughs) you would not think that person was speaking appropriate language. (laughs) That's not at all how Paul uses this phrase here. In fact, the, the Latin word salarium means salt money and is where we get the word salary from. Now, why is this important? Because soldiers in Roman times were paid with salt that their wage was salt and, among other things, coins, but but their wage was salt money. And so that word, salarium is where we get salary from. And salary is value. Salary is value. It's what gives us life because we all of a sudden have money to buy groceries and things we need to pay for all the needs that we have in life. It brings life to a person. We need salary. We're dependent on that. So the word season was salt, that phrase, is, is not about foul language, it's about value language. That when Paul says, season your words with salt, he is talking about salt money, salary. He's talking about what he would have known at that day was a value proposition. Now, what does that mean for us, church? That means this. Are our words adding value to our listeners? Do they add value? Do they give life Do they uplift and encourage that when we get the opportunity to share with somebody why we have peace, why we have confidence, why we are encouraged even during a time of great discouragement? What's going on? Give life through your words. It's it's a different type of salty that we get to speak into somebody's life. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 3.15, He says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, because Christ is first in our hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So we can see the tone here, that Peter is saying this out of gentleness and respect towards other people. Share some salty language. (laughs) And by salt, I mean give value to them. Encourage them. Point them to Jesus Christ and tell them of the hope that you have in your hearts because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And if your fear is in God, your mouth will be full of the hope that only God can give us. I want to leave you with this thought and I also want to challenge you today the thought I want to leave you with is to live today like your future faith demands it. Live today like your future faith demands it. That as you envision yourself two weeks from now when the lockdown is done, two months from now when things start to change and, and maybe this whole virus scare goes away, two years from now, 20 years from now, as you envision your future faith and the direction that you are headed on to get there. Live today as if you're there with the same hope and anticipation in Jesus Christ because the truth is found in God's word. And in Romans 8, Paul says it very clearly. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither coronavirus, nor no coronavirus, <laughs> nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, we have hope. We have encouragement. We have a solid foundation in Jesus Christ that is unshakable. There is nothing that can take that from us. Nothing. Nothing. We have that hope. Living today like Jesus is coming is your encouragement. Being devoted to prayer, acting wisely towards people on the outside, spending time thinking about how our actions and our opportunities and our words all come together to paint a beautiful mosaic of what life will be like someday when Jesus returns And if we live today in the reality that we know is coming, it'll bring about a beautiful picture of hope, because we are the body of Christ, his representatives on this earth. Even if it's digital for the next couple of weeks, we are. So here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is this. We are going to start a prayer campaign here at this church. And for the next 30 days, or starting April 1st, I want you to join this all-church prayer campaign And the way that you do that is this. Very simply, you can pull out your phones because I know you're all sitting in your living rooms. Maybe you're watching this through a phone right now so you can wait till afterwards. This will also be up on our website. But I want you to text PRAY30 to 77222. And when you text that, what you will get is a link. And every day, starting April 1st, you will get a link that will take you to a devotion. And these devotions have been written and crafted by all of our staff here at the church, and so you'll get to hear a little bit of their hearts, but you'll get a prayer focus every single day. And so we can be devoted to prayer for 30 continual days in solidarity as a church family, all praying the same things together as one. Would you join me? Would you be a part of that? Would you come alongside each other and let's do what we can do. Let's control what we can control by getting on our hands and knees and being considerate towards other people with wisdom, making the most of opportunities by being devoted to prayer. Please join me in that and pray along with me. Would you bow right now as I close us in a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, I recognize that we live in some very interesting times. And God, there is a lot of uncertainty and a lot of challenge and a lot of heartache. But regardless of all that's going on, the storm that we're in, Jesus, these things don't faze you. You came to the disciples on a boat in the middle of a storm and prayed, cease, be still. That Jesus, you are the one who controls all things. And you are the one in whom our hope can firmly rest. So I pray today, God, that as we go from this time, that our hearts would be steadfast in the reality that you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, we love you and we trust you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen, church. We serve a God who is a waymaker. We serve a God who is making the way for us in a time where uncertainty and and fear abounds. He's going to give us a confidence and the peace and the hope to live confidently for him. That we can be people who show others that there is someone who can bring hope to this world in a time like this. And his name is Jesus Christ. Church family, I just want to encourage you today. I want to remind you that we have ways that we're communicating with you and we need you to stay on top of the communication as well. So be looking uh, on our website at alexandriacovenant.org for any information that's coming out. We also want you to be checking your emails regularly. Social media platforms consist of Instagram now, Facebook, and also YouTube. So please, please be checking those out. We're working on developing online community groups for children, youth, and adults. Uh, Children and youth have already started. Adults are coming this week. So we want to direct you to the homepage of our website to check out all the options that are going to be available to you. And lastly, let me just remind you that the church continues and the needs of the church continue. We can't be a church who stops giving now. We as a church body and the family of Christ rely on our faithful stewardship to continue to build God's kingdom together while we're going through this here on earth. This time is a time for us to give and give faithfully unto the Lord. If you haven't signed up for online giving, please know you can go to our homepage and you can, you can click on a tab that says online giving and you can sign up for regular reoccurring gifts. You can also mail your check to the church as well. But at a time like this where there's a lot of uncertainty, the one thing is certain. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever. And he is the only way that we can come to the Father who is in heaven. So what, may we as a church not give up on the mission that God's called us to, to go into this world and to bring the gospel to people. Let me remind you as a church family, we need to stick together and pray together. We have been given a great challenge by Pastor Dave today. Go online and sign up for this Pray 30. We want to pray together and be a church family who stays together. So may the God of peace be with you and go with you throughout this week. We love you, church. We're here and we're going to do this together. When we can meet together, We look forward to the time we can lift our hearts and our hands together. But until then, we can do it from a distance and we can keep the faith, persevere in the faith. Let's pray together. Let's connect with God and others together and let's find ways we can serve together. And may you have a great week. May the Lord bless you.